0: Good evening. As we uh, approach the table a little later tonight, we're going to use Matthew 26 as the passage of Scripture to prepare our hearts for this Maundy Thursday. So if you would uh, look at the passage behind me on the screen you can follow along that way, you don't need to, of course, take any—we haven't prepared any notes for tonight. Tonight is just our heart getting close to the Lord and letting the Scriptures— wash over us and considering who Jesus is and what he has done on our behalf. So what I want to do is begin reading in Matthew 26, at verse 17, and then we'll have a word of prayer and then we'll jump right in. Matthew 26, 17 through 29. Now on the first day of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus saying, where will you have us prepare for you to eat the Passover? He said, go into the city to a certain man and say, the teacher says, my time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. And the disciples did as Jesus had directed them. And they prepared the Passover. When it was evening, he reclined at the table with the twelve, And as they were eating, he said, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. And they were very sorrowful and began to say to him and to one another, is it I, Lord? He answered, he who has dipped his hand in the dish with me will betray me. The Son of Man goes as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. Judas, who would betray him, answered, Is it I, Rabbi? He said to him, You have said so. when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. So Lord, add help to us tonight. Help us uh, fully grasp and feel the depth of what was happening here in the Last Supper. Lord, also give us a sense of worship and awe in our hearts for your goodness to us and your love for us. Prepare us to receive the elements, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Maundy Thursday, as we have already discussed, it's all about this new commandment, and that's found in another passage that tells the story of the Last Supper. John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. In fact, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So if we can kind of orchestrate and think through what was happening that week, you'll probably remember that Monday was what I have jotted down. It's muddled Monday. It was a crazy day. You remember that Jesus approaches a fig tree and curses it on Monday. And the picture is that, that uh, fruit should have been coming from the, this, the, the people of Israel, but it didn't. And so there was this symbolism of changing from uh, th- that which was not bearing fruit to that which would bear fruit, namely the sacrificial system and the temple system, to the Holy Spirit indwelling us and the work that Jesus would accomplish on the cross. That was the day that Jesus overturned tables in the temple. Tuesday would have been Trap Tuesday, if you will. That would have been the time when the Pharisees and Sadducees were ever trying to catch Jesus in his own words. And so here they were deployed to go out and to trap him with various questions that would turn the people's hearts against him. And of course, they were unable to do that I call Wednesday Wiley Wednesday, maybe others call it Spy Wednesday. That's when Judas saw his opportunity and finally said, that's it. I I have made up my mind, I am going to turn Jesus over to the authorities if the price is right. And we see all over the place him now looking for an opportunity to betray Jesus. And that brings us to early Thursday morning, where this text picks up. Early Thursday morning, you see in verse 17, now on the first day of unleavened bread. The first day of unleavened bread was, a uh, the first day of pa- is Passover. It's a Passover day. It would have been like the 14th of the month of Nisan. And so uh, the concept here is that The very first day is Passover, and then the next seven are the Feast of the Unleavened Bread. And so you'll remember the story, of course, of what happened in Exodus with the tenth plague when the uh, final, the, the angel of death was going to come and take the firstborn of everyone that didn't have blood on the lentils of their homes. And so it was going to be the most devastating plague of all the plagues that would finally be the one that would release the people. This is a heartbreaking story, but it's a a story of God saving his own people from captivity, from slavery, without an army, without weapons. Uh, By the goodness and beauty of his grace, he saved them. And so on Maundy Thursday, they were coming together to observe the last Passover, if you will. The Passover uh, is the first day of that, uh, that uh, sacrifice, or excuse me, that, that ceremony. And then the next seven days, again, are the Feast of the Unleavened Bread. They use the Unleavened Bread because the, the picture is, uh, we want to get out of Egypt quickly. Make haste. Don't wait for the, the bread to rise. Move out. But not only don't wait for the bread to rise, secondly, don't take anything with you from Egypt. You, you get the concept of the, that the leaven of one loaf of bread, they would take a piece of the bread and that would start the next and start the next and start the next. And the, the concept is it's time to end all of that. And you know the picture of leaven is of evil Influence leave behind all of the evil influence, leave behind the leaven of the the place that you're coming out of, leave everything behind, come with me, I will rescue you from your oppressors. And that's the picture of the feast that they were entering into the first day of the unleavened bread. Still in verse 17, the disciples came to Jesus saying, where will you have us prepare for you to eat? this Passover. Guys, I believe that Jesus had told them probably days ahead of time. Don't worry, I've got it figured out where we're going, where we're going to eat. He didn't tell them. The reason he didn't tell them, we've already covered. Judas was looking for an opportunity to betray him. And if Jesus had excuse me, if Judas had known where they were going to have this feast, the guards would have met them at that location, and Jesus had something very significant on his mind, namely this table that we are going to observe tonight. No, Judas, you're not going to set the timetable for what's going to happen tonight. I will observe the last Passover ever, sanctioned by God, with my disciples, and then I will institute something brand new, namely the Lord's table that we will commemorate here tonight, that my people will keep forever and ever. And no plan of the evil one, even working through Judas, is going to, going to sidetrack my intentions. So Jesus knew where they were going to hold the feast, but none of the disciples did. And in fact, even with Judas probably standing there, he was pretty cryptic in what he said to them. Hey, listen, go to the guy that you meet in the marketplace. That was an unusual description. The guy carrying water, well, Men did not typically carry water in the marketplace, so it was going to be an obvious kind of a, you know, the one with the yellow rose kind of, it'll be obvious who it is. And so Peter and John know who they need to connect with in the marketplace when they go. But nobody else and none of the other disciples knew probably until they neared the actual place. Incidentally, Jesus would have had to work that out a long time ago because the Passover had to be kept in Jerusalem, and uh, big rooms in Jerusalem were at a premium. So he knows where they're going, but he was somewhat cryptic. By the way, this is a picture of God's sovereignty in your life. Jesus remains in control of all things. You say, stuff happened to me and has happened to me, and it's been brutal and difficult in my world and in my life. And can I just tell you that God is sovereign over the trouble? He knows what's going on. Nothing is going to happen to you or to me outside of his goodness and grace, outside of his knowledge. He controls and is sovereign over all of those things. And so the certain man is identified, and the place of the Passover is identified. Verse 17 now, uh, where, uh, where will you have us prepare this? He said, verse 18, go into the city to a certain man and say to him, the teacher says my time is at hand. That phrase comes off as sort of a flippant, like it's time kind of a thing, but he's not just saying, uh, uh, now I need your room. Kind of a thing. The word would have been chronos. That's just a, it just means chronologically. Just the next thing that happens. It wasn't that word. He said, My appointment with God, my kairos, my time is now here. And that person that they were gonna, are going to go and talk to him about knows what he means there. Like, okay, it's time. Really, I think he said these words for Peter and John. He's been telling his disciples. The time of my departure is coming. The time is coming. The time is coming. And now he's saying, it's not coming anymore. My time is here. So if that is not amazing to you, and it is amazing to me in terms of God's sovereignty over all of these things, here he's got the Passover all taken care of, and we're up to verse 20 now. Now he assembles the team. He assembles everybody who should be gathered with him. And by the way, there's a picture of that here tonight. Every redeemed believer in the church family has been invited to come to Maundy Thursday to commemorate this Lord's Supper. When when it was evening, he reclined at the table with the twelve. And as they were eating, he said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me. And they were very sorrowful and began to say to him and to one another, Is it I, Lord? And he answered, He who has dipped his hand in the dish with me will betray me. Now listen, all of them dipped their hand in the the dish with him, and so that didn't really, you know, narrow things down very much. He answered, uh, excuse me, verse 24, the Son of Man goes as it is written of him. And you know what he's doing? He's underscoring what we've already emphasized. I am completely sovereign over all of these things. Jesus has told him many times, and in Matthew, this was one of his favorite, his favorite titles, the Son of Man. That's a reference to Daniel. When, when God talks about the one who will come and redeem the world and, take, and the one who will sit on his throne forever, the coming Messiah, right? And Jesus has, has said many times, I'm the one, I'm the one. So he says here in verse 24, The Son of Man goes as it is written of him, but woe to the man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. I think he identifies that there is a betrayer among him for several reasons, to let Judas know he's on to him. But certainly to show all of the disciples afterwards, he knew exactly what was about to come to pass. And for generation after generation after generation, all of us to read and see, Jesus was completely sovereign over the events of this day. He knew the danger He knew that he was about to die. He knew that he was going to the cross according to the will and glory of his Father. He knew exactly what was coming down the pike, and uh, yet the one that betrayed him will pay in a unique way for this betrayal. Though God be sovereign, we be responsible for 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 our own sin. It would have been better for that man... If he had not been born at all, Judas, who would betray him, answered, is it I, rabbi? He said to him, you have said so. You see a a remarkable word used there, don't you? For three years, Jesus has proved he is Lord. Judas has heard eventually the report, uh, who do you say that I am? And Peter answers, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And Judas knows exactly that Jesus has been uh, glorified in their midst as the only Messiah, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. That his brothers, those 11 there, all were committed to Jesus as Lord of lords. They had just said, is it I, Lord? Is it I, Lord? And I'm sure at various points there was lip service from Judas using the word Lord. But you see what he did there, didn't you? When he says there, in verse 25, Judas, who would betray him, answered, "Is it I rabbi?" Teacher. Listen, you and I need to be very aware of where our heart, our hearts stand with Jesus Christ. When we come to the table here. What we are saying is we are very aware that all of human history from the past to the moment of Jesus, it was about Passover. It was about recognizing how God's hand had been at work in strong ways for the deliverance of his people, and there was a promise of a faithful one to come, and Jesus laid claim to this, that all of those promises and all of those prophecies pointed to him. And if you're here tonight, we invite you to this place of making Jesus Lord over your life. That is, you recognize who he is and submit to him. You relinquish control of your life. You die like he has died, and we'll talk about that in a few minutes. But we, we, we come to this point where we know and say and admit together, he's the Lord. He's the Lord. The startling revelation here in these verses that one would betray, it would be this one who actually never uh, made Jesus Lord or, or took Jesus as Lord, but came to this point where he would call him merely Rabbi. It does not get worse in this world for someone to go on sinning after receiving a knowledge of the truth. What about me, my heart? What about you? Have you heard the precious and righteous voice and words of Jesus calling you to relinquish your life to him? Have you been around the Christian community and seen that there are people that are completely relinquishing their lives to him? All our best friends showing us what loyalty to him looks like? And here we are together. We will never be closer. I mean, the the invitation to know God through Jesus Christ, it won't be closer than it is in these moments, friends. So here's the invitation, that you would not merely be close to the Lord, but surrendered to him. Friends, if you are close to him and not surrendered to him, you know that you're not. You know there's a portion of your life that you refuse to give over. You know that you hear his words, but do your thing. You know that there is a a place for Jesus as a rabbi in your life, someone you're interested in. You want to hear what he says. You're interested in where he's going. But this concept of fully relinquishing and giving everything to him has been far from you. Judas knew it. He knew he was not in the close relationship with Christ, with God that he could have been. You know if you're close but uncommitted. You know if you're listening with no intention. You know if you're observing who Jesus is with no worship. If that's me, I know it. And we are not here tonight to chastise that person. We're here tonight to invite that person to come and worship Jesus with all of your heart and mind and soul. But Judas would not. And so if this was the last view of the final sanctioned Passover that meant something, and he has established Jesus has his disciples here. He is now about to do something that is profound and amazing when he says, here's a, here's a new way we're going to commemorate, really, he would say, himself going forward. Verse 26, 27, 28, and 29. Now, as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to his disciples. And he said, take eat, this is my body. Jesus took the the bread. I believe that between verse 25 and verse 26, Judas left. I believe that we've gone from 12 to 11. I believe that that interaction with Jesus where he was saying, you have said so, I believe that was the end because other passages say at that point he departed. Jesus says what you are going to do, do quickly, and he left. And so here we are with just the 11, and with the 11 faithful disciples, Jesus establishes this beautiful, beautiful new covenant. Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. He does not mean literally, this is my body, any more than uh, when he said, I am the living water, he meant that he was living water. Or when he said, I'm the branch, he meant that he was foliage, right? That's not what he meant when he said, this is my body. What he meant is this symbolizes my body, my life, that I'm about to give for you. The Passover was all pointing to what would come in terms of God's faithful servant so his body broken is the fulfillment of the law. His body broken is the fulfillment of all the temple system and ceremonies. His body broken is the fulfillment of everything that they were taught in the Old Testament to look forward to, and all of the, the traditions and the ceremonies. And, and here Jesus is saying, the body that is about to be broken on behalf of you, we're, we're going to establish this new covenant here, and a new covenant, a new table, a new tradition, a new symbolism that will always point to me and me alone. Friends, Jesus died in our place. The wages of sin is death. And so he didn't die as a sinner. He died for sinners, for you and for me. Faithful disciples fully embrace and identify with the crucified Savior, Jesus Christ. We are crucified with him. We die with him. We fully recognize his death. And so when we take this, this uh, element here in just a few moments and we hold that bread in our hand, we are reminded that all of the Older Testament pointed to Jesus. He fulfills it and here he institutes this Lord's Supper that we still keep to this day. Jesus took the Bread in his hand, and Jesus took the cup in his hand and he gave thanks. Jesus thanked God. See what it says there in verse 27 and he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you. Now, my conviction is that whenever we observe the Lord's supper, we should be assembled. As a church, we should all be invited. There should be none held back. The invitation should go out, and we should all be, have the opportunity to take it. That's why, honestly, I'm not real excited about taking a couple of these to other places other than the gathered church. I, that, it seems to me that the 11 are gathered, and he said, drink it, all of you. And there's a sense that when he says that, he said, we're all in. We are unified here. You are included as you recognize my, blo- my blood spilt for you. We are devoted to one another. Our identity is that Jesus is the Christ, the one who died in our place. And if we would go back and we hear the, the words that Jesus said next when he said, this, the son of, uh, this is the blood of, this is my blood of the covenant. And he's pointing back all the way back. Genesis 15, God makes a covenant with Abraham. There's blood shed. Exodus chapter 12, there is the Passover. There is blood shed. Jeremiah 31, there will be a new covenant coming when we will each know him. Luke 22:20, 20, Jesus uses these exact words. This is the new covenant covenant in my blood. And that's what we're doing when we come to the table. And that's what Jesus was instituting all those years ago on that Thursday night. This is the new covenant in my blood. Hebrews chapter 9 verse 22 says, without the shedding of blood, there is not forgiveness of sins. Jesus died in your place and mine. So all prophecy points to the one who atones, and it's Jesus. When we drink this cup, we're saying, this is the renewed, this is the final, this is the covenant in Jesus' name. All of reality for all time has anticipated this moment. And only Jesus could have done this. And friends, he did it. Out of love for you and for me. It says here that his blood is poured out for many. And can I just tell you what that means is that all of the Old Testament saints were waiting for this moment when their faith in a Messiah to come would be a uh, sight, if you will, would come to pass. Uh, Hebrews, um, excuse me, John eight fifty six says, Jesus was talking to the Pharisees and says, your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. And what that was meaning is Abraham was looking forward to the day when Jesus would come and fulfill all the prophecies and die in our place and his body would be broken and his blood would be spilt and the sacrificial systems with all of the lambs would be defunct because they're fulfilled in Jesus. All past believers and every believer, anyone who comes into the family of God today looks back In faith to the work accomplished by Jesus on the cross. Guys, there's joy and hope here at the Lord's table because if we continue on, for this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Look at verse 29 I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. And so we're saying, do I have faith in Christ? Am I recognizing the body? Am I recognizing the blood? And then I'm reminding you as you hold these elements in your hand later and Aaron's going to lead us in just a moment. It's not only a statement that only Jesus could have done it and Jesus did it fully and we look to him and we identify with him and we're called to die with him, crucified with him, crucify our flesh, but also we know this for sure, he's coming again. We are waiting for him to come again. You see what this promises here in these words? He will drink it new with us in his Father's kingdom. That's a promise of a future moment when it will happen for sure. We will eat and drink with complete, unrestrained, full joy with Jesus forever and ever and ever. All of that contained when we sing this song in just a moment. And we hold these elements and say, on Maundy Thursday, it could only have been Jesus. It was Jesus. It is Jesus. And we love him. Let me me end with just a couple of points that I want to apply to our hearts as we think this through. What What should a growing believer do with all of this? And I hope some of it is totally obvious, but I'm going to start with this. Number one, John 13 says, if all of this is true, we should love each other. There should be no divisions among us. There should be no grudges among us. There should be no gossip among us. There should be no backbiting among us. When Paul picks up on this in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, he's writing it like this. He says, I hear that there's some divisions among you, and I believe it. And then he gives instruction for the Lord's Supper. And I'm not saying there are divisions among us. I'm just saying that us coming to this table, it requires us to look at what Jesus did moments before in the Last Supper when he... He, the, his disciples are saying, uh, "I'm who, who's going to be, more, who's gonna be uh, more famous and more uh, influential in your kingdom? Who will be greatest, Lord? And he's like, guys, the one who serves. The one who doesn't care about cultural standards but would humble himself and give himself to love deeply. In fact, he would say, as he takes off his outer cloak, let me wash your feet to give you an example of the way you should love one another until Jesus comes back. And that's what we're all about. The example of Jesus calls us to love each other fully. This is not a chastising statement to you, but it's been very convicting to my heart as I've been preparing for tonight. Man, I want to love like that. A second point of application would be to those of you who are not truly committed. If you're not committed to Jesus Christ, these elements, you're going to be asked to come up here and, and go back to your seat. If you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I have two messages for you. Don't partake tonight. These elements are not sacred, but they point to a sacred truth. That Jesus is the center of history. Everything before him pointed to him. Everything after him points back to him. And all of our eyes are in a future moment when he will return. And so when I ask you not to participate, I'm not judging you. I'm saying respect what these elements mean. And now here's the second part I want to say if you're not a believer, come tonight. Come tonight. I'll be sitting down here. I would love to talk to you. This room is going to be full of people who would love to sit down with you and say, look, let's make it real tonight. Let's double down and ask the Lord to do a work of bringing you to complete loyalty to the name of God in Christ Jesus. We're going to be called to examine and repent. And I, my last point of application is to say this. Let your love for God be multiplied. When you take this bread, remember no one else could have died for you. No one else could have paid your debt. When you drink this juice in a few minutes, this cup, remember the death of Jesus Christ who died for you. And as we take these elements, remember what Jesus has promised. This one thing we can say for sure, this tonight cannot be the last time you take the elements in your hands. Because you, if you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, will drink it new with Him in the kingdom. If you die tonight, if you die tomorrow, everything's okay. Jesus is risen from the dead for the forgiveness of sins. Amen. Our worship team is coming. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, would you help us now as we come to the table in just a few moments? Would you prepare our hearts? we examine ourselves before you? Lord, if there's one who's far from you, I pray that tonight would be a night of coming close. If there's one who does not know you, I pray that tonight would be the night of knowing and closeness. Father, do a great work even in this moment, this moment as we come into your presence. And we pray these things now in Jesus' name.